Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Okay. Well, we are continuing. Actually, we are concluding our series, What Matters Most. And... If you've been here for the last five weeks, we've been talking about the foundation of what we are as a community at Genesis, the things that are at the core of who we are. We talked first about how it really is about life, life that Jesus gives, and him is life, and it is the light of all mankind. And we are all about connecting to God through Christ and connecting people to God through Christ. It is at the core of who we are that mission is why we exist. It is why the church exists. And then we talked about the reason we do what we do is because we care. We talked about how God is always postured towards us. We had the illustration of the two chairs and that even if our chair turns away from God, God's chair never turns away from us. He is never looking the other way. He is always looking towards us, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, what condition we are in, God is always postured towards us. And we saw that so clearly in Jesus. And love is the context for all mission. It is why we do what we do. And then we talked about really what this is all about. It's about people. People are what matter. It's not about organizations. It's not about churches. It's not about structure. It's about the work of God that is taking place in the hearts of people. And that's why we are so important to each other. We need each other. Because as a body, one member needs another. That you have gifts, you have abilities that I don't. And we need your input that to make this work go forward, we need you to be a part of that work. You are gifted in some way. And what we want to try and do is encourage each other to, to stimulate each other into love and good deeds. Why? Because that's how the church is supposed to function. And last week we talked about how we really need to embrace the world that we're in. 
that we have to understand the culture we are in and be able to speak the language of the culture that we are in. That many times what has happened is the church has had a dialogue that is 20, 30, sometimes 50 years old, sometimes it's 1,600 years old. But we're having a dialogue about things that used to be instead about how things are. And we need to recognize that the relevancy to culture, it's not optional. If we are going to have influence in the world that we are in, we have to speak the language. We have to know the cares, the concerns, and where the people are. It's going to be different for us here in Upland, California, than it's going to be for the people in Mexico or the people in Haiti or even the people in Los Angeles for that matter, right? It can change just from city to city. And so we have to be relevant to the people that we're talking to. And and today, we're going to talk about creating a future. And when you hear that, does it make you like, wait, we can't, that's God's job, right? Everyone always talks about, well, we're going to make history. Well, to make history, you have to create a future, right? You don't make something happen unless you make it happen. And so we're going to talk about how we create the future and what we want to do to to move this message of who Jesus is forward. And really, it starts off with Jesus himself. Jesus talks and he says, from that time, which is after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Said it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 again. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A couple of things I want to talk about. One, repent. What does that mean? A lot of times we have in our mind the idea of repent. Stop doing the bad things you're doing. Start doing good things. But that's not at the core of repent. Repent means to turn around, to change your direction, to change your mind. So it's not just stop doing bad things. It's start living a new life. Last week, we talked about this renewing of your mind, right? That you are to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. That's repentance. That's changing the life direction. And again, he talked about not being high-minded, not to think yourself more high than you should, but again, to recognize that you're part of something that's bigger. And so repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means change your focus. Change your life's direction. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near. He would later tell his disciples in chapter 10, verse 7, sending them out when he told them to go out, and he says to proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's sending them out to say the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is happening. What does that mean? Because Jesus was all about the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's important that we understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Because it is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. So there's, in a sense, a revolution that is taking place that the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be a revolution of the human soul. And the word revolution from the Latin means 
or it says revolutio. How's that for Latin, right? And it means a turnaround. See, the revolution is a turnaround. It's a fundamental change in power or organizational structure that takes place over a period of time. And so Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying there is something at work here. There is a turnaround that takes place. The reason we repent is because we need to line up with this work that is happening in God's kingdom. And now we get to be a part of it, this turnaround, this change, which is why we have to change directions so that we can be a part of this. It's a revolution for humanity itself. But revolutions are anything but safe or peaceful. Whether it's the American Revolution, the French Revolution, what's happened in other countries, whenever there's a revolt, a change of power, there usually is a lot of casualty. And the kingdom of heaven is no different. When Jesus started this revolution, the first century with Nero, there were thousands upon thousands who gave their life for their faith in Jesus. Last year, it is estimated that 7,100 Christians were killed, martyred for their faith, which is more than it's been, like 3,000 more than it was in 2014. So people are still giving their lives for this cause, for this purpose. And so when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I don't want you to feel like, oh, good, let it come here. I'm here and I'll welcome it. No, if we're going to be a part of it, we're going to make this turnaround. If we're going to repent and be a part of this, know that there is a cost involved with it. And it's pushing us to do what the king is doing. It is pushing us to be his hands, his feet, his voice to the world that we're living in. And so how did Jesus bring about this revolution? How did he show that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Does anyone here like to work out? I know some of you do. You probably don't want to raise your hand because it's like, yeah, I do. See, when you work out, it's not like once a month, okay? You, you have to work out like regularly. And there's different ways of working out. There's working out to achieve a goal like you want to be an athlete and you want to break, you know, this record for running certain distances at certain speeds. But then there's my kind of working out where you just work out to break even, I just like to eat pizza, so I want to work out so I don't turn into, you know, a blimp. Don't say anything, okay? It could be worse. And so the idea of working out is it's going to require something. It's exercise. It's costing you pain, to be able to do these things. It's not just you go there and you lay down and, and you, you know, listen to someone tell you what to do. No, you have to actually be engaged and break a sweat. Otherwise, it makes no difference to you. And so for us to exercise these things, there has to be this pain. I don't like pain. 
You know the saying, no pain, no gain. I like the saying, no pain, no pain. <laughs> right? That's a good one. No pain, no pain. I'm all for no pain. But I know if I'm going to make a difference, then there has to be an exertion of some time, somehow. Turn with me to John chapter 4. Let's see how Jesus brought about this kingdom. I'm going to give you a little summary of what's happening because you're familiar with this story. But we need to paint a culture. I need to swallow my gum because it's getting in the way. Okay. We have the Jewish people and then alongside of them are Gentiles, the Roman Empire, but there are also people who are now no longer Jew and they're not just Gentile, but they're kind of a half-breed. They were maybe have a parent who is Jewish and a parent who's a Gentile, and a lot of these are the Samaritans. And in the Hebrew mind, the Samaritans, they are a disgrace to their people. They have betrayed their lineage. And what we have is Judea. We have this county, basically, of Judea that's over here. And then you have another county that is Samaria that's over here. And this is where those people are, the ones who have betrayed their own people by mixing with those heathen, those Gentiles. And then you have Galilee over here. And to get from Judea to Galilee, it's about 70 miles. It's about two and a half day journey. But a good Jewish person would not go through Samaria. If you were a devout Jew, you would go around. It's a little bit more hazardous, it's a little bit more difficult, and it's about twice as far, about 130 miles. But it was just a way that you showed your devotion to God. I'm not going to go through the unclean county of South Fontana. I mean, Samaria. (laughs) Right? It's a mentality. Some people think those ways about counties here. I'm not going to go through Samaria, because I am devout to God. I don't want to be unclean. And so Jesus is with his disciples. And in verse 4, it says, Now he had, whoops, don't have it up there. Now he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go, he could have went around like all the other good Jewish people, but it says that he had to go. So he was being compelled to go through Samaria. Verse 4, Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
This well, it was a controversy in itself. Did this well belong to Jacob and did it belong to the Jewish people or was it now part of the Samaritans? And so it was a controversial place that he's at. And so he goes to this well and then we see verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. A little parenthesis there. Now, first of all, these young men, his disciples, the 12 disciples, growing up Jewish, knew that Samaria was not acceptable to them. But their rabbi, Jesus, is going through Samaria. I can imagine them going, why are we going through Samaria? I mean, the devout Jews go around. It's a part of their pious attitude. We, we serve God by staying away from this. Even though it's shorter, we'll sacrifice the two days as our devotion to God. We will go around Samaria. He's going through Samaria, and so they're going with him through Samaria. And then it says that they went to get something to eat. Now imagine that. These crew of Jewish guys, this little huddle group of 12 Jewish guys going into this town, this county, Samaria, looking for kosher food. Imagine the look that they would get as they're there in their robes and and people recognize, oh, you guys are Jewish. Yeah, we're wondering, do you have anything? Oh, we got some bacon. Oh, no, 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 we, we don't bacon. Yeah, I got nothing for you, buddy. Can you imagine how difficult that was? Not only does Jesus make us go through this unclean town, he sends us out to get food. When I was in Haiti, a couple of years back, we were going up to Jeannot's house where we would meet, everyone would meet up at his house, and we were staying at a hotel about five blocks away, and so we were walking up to his house, and I was walking with this guy named John, and I forget the occasion, but John said, well, let's get a bottle of wine for Jeannot, and, and we'll take that up to him. And I said, okay. And there's a market on the way to his house. I say a market. You know, it's a, a, a house that has shelves in it, kind of. It's, it's not what we consider a market. And so I'm okay. And, and you have to understand, walking through the sea, streets of Haiti, they can tell I'm not Haitian. I don't know if it's the accent Or the bleached white skin, right? So when you're walking through, you are a rarity. And so everyone looks at you because you're the only white people there. And so it's a little awkward. You know, they're really nice people, but it's a little awkward and walking through and everyone looks at you and then they're speaking to you in languages, oh, you know, like, hey... I don't know what you said, you know, I'm just walking through the streets of Haiti. And so it's a little unnerving and we get into this store and I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, man, I don't know what any of this stuff is. And then John's trying to ask the lady for a bottle of wine and it's like there's this language better because she doesn't speak English. We don't speak Creole, you know, but I guess wine is a universal language or something. So you know, finally points them to this shelf where there's these bottles. And it's like, well, I don't know what that is, but that ain't wine. And, and so he finally gets this bottle of wine and then you have to pay for it. And I'm looking at this candy because I'm like, is that candy? Should I try some of that? 
You know, I'm just like, because I like trying, you know, something different, but it's not like fully wrapped, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to go for it. And, and so John's interacting with them, and he's trying to find out how much is this bottle of wine? And it's like $50 or something like that. And it's like Boone's Farm. You know, it's like nothing. It's like, what is this? And he's like, you know, he's trying to negotiate with them for this bottle of wine. But you're a foreigner speaking a foreign language. And they're looking at you like, what are you doing here? You're coming here and you're starting to haggle for this wine. You know, and so we ended up buying, I don't know how much we've got the wine for. And then we're walking back and I just felt like, man, this was such an ordeal. You know, just give me, you know, a, a market that I'm used to where I know everything is. Imagine these disciples in a foreign place where there's this racial tension, even more so than with me and Haiti. And having to go and buy food is like, man, this Jesus, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? In the meantime, Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. And you know the conversation. He asks her for water, and she says, you're a Jew. You don't ask us for anything. He says, well, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, you would ask me to give you living water. And finally, she says, give me this living water. And they get into a conversation about worshiping. And he tells her, well, go and get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. He says, oh, you're telling the truth. You actually had five, and you're just living with a guy right now. So now we know what kind of woman she is. She's like the original desperate housewife, right? Okay, she, she's not a, a person who you, you would see as upstanding. And as he tells her this, she says, wow, I, I perceive you're a prophet. Let me talk to you about worship. You know, you Jews say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we say, you know, that this is a place to worship. And he says, I'm telling you that the true worship of God, worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and truth. And God is looking for those people. And she says, well, I know the Messiah is supposed to come. And when he comes, he's going to put all things right. And that's when he tells her, woman, the person you're speaking to, I am he. And right as he says that, we see that the disciples come back. Verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, because they were chicken, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So we see their attitude. What are you talking to her? Imagine now this woman talking with Jesus, having this open heart conversation with Jesus, and all of a sudden these 12 pack of guys come walking in looking surprised. Imagine their look. Okay, what's what's with you? What's with her? And they come in kind of giving this little like inquisitive eye that just just enough for 12 of them to make you feel really awkward, right? Like I kind of did going into that store at Haiti and I walk in and the people go, what? You know, they kind of look at you like, who are you? Why did you pop in here? You know, I'd, they weren't expecting that. And so what happens is we see her response. Because just then the disciples returned and they were having this inquisitive 
wanting to know, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and told the people, come see the man who told me everything I did. She left everything. I wonder, sitting there talking with Jesus and then seeing 12 guys coming at you, looking like, hey, what are you doing here? Especially the Jews' attitude toward the Samaritans and especially men's attitude towards women. They probably came in there, hey, you're talking to our rabbi. What, do you, what kind of business do you have doing with our... I could see them. I mean, Peter is already like, Lord, don't, no one will ever take you. I'll die before that'll happen. And Jesus like, oh, man, you don't get it. And then she's like, oh, man, I, I like talking to you, but I really don't want to deal with them. And she leaves immediately. And she probably felt very uncomfortable having to deal with that. And we see that the disciples are now in a situation where they're just like wondering, what the heck is going on? You know, Jesus, first you take us through Samaria, which is unclean. Then you make us go and buy food. You know how hard it is to find kosher food in Samaria? And we come back and you're talking to this woman. And it's not just a woman, it's a loose woman. That's why she's at the well in the middle of the day. It's like, you know, this is not comfortable for us. This is out of our zone. We don't want to be here. Jesus, can we just, can we just, leave this area can we get back on track to what we're supposed to do the the work of god you know i want to be where the people are i want to be where they're singing and dancing i want to i just want to get out of here and get over there i want to be in the place where i am comfortable and jesus needed to go through samaria and he needed to take them through this place because he needed them to be a part of the kingdom, creating this new future. And they say, Jesus, here, eat. And he says, I have food that you don't know of. And they're thinking, did someone feed him? Did, oh, no, did he eat from her? And their minds are literally just like frantic about what's going on here because it is so out of the norm. It is so uncomfortable for them. It's so awkward. When Jesus says, I am he, she sees the disciples, their surprised faces, the faces really of racists at that time. She was impacted by Jesus but she was afraid of his followers. And that says a lot. I think a lot of people are impacted by Jesus, but are afraid of the followers. And a lot of times we think that following Jesus is going to help us to avoid the painful and the difficult. It is going to to make life easier. The truth is that if you look at history and you see what has been happening in the church, whether it be apartheid, 
or whether it be the Inquisition or whether it be whatever it is, there's been so many times where the church has been very exclusive. Exclusion has been a part of our history. I I was reading information on Gandhi and Gandhi's education and how Gandhi had a lot of questions when he was reading the Old Testament, but when he came to the New Testament, especially the Sermon on the Mount, he said it touched his heart and it moved him. And when he saw Jesus' sacrifice for others, it was the example for him. And so Gandhi went to a Christian church dressed as he was as an Indian, to go and find out more about Jesus. And they said, hey, what are you doing here? You can't be here. You need to leave. There's the faces of the disciples. Hey, you don't belong here. And so Gandhi said, I love your Jesus. I hate your Christians because they act nothing like their Christ. And what Jesus is doing is pushing them into a place of uncomfortable love where you now have to care about these people who all your life you spent despising. And sometimes I think when you feel frustrated and uncomfortable, when you feel like you're, you're in an awkward place, when you feel like, man this, is, man, this is so uneasy, there's a lot of tension, I think that's actually what it feels like to follow Jesus. I, I think that that's actually on track, where he starts putting you into the lives of people, and it's like, man, I don't have anything to do with these people. I don't know what they know. I don't think like they think, and, and I don't eat the food that they eat. I, I don't know what's going on here, and it's uncomfortable, and it's, yeah, this is where God is taking it because he's expanding his kingdom. And it takes moving into these areas where you have to encounter and deal with other people, other groups, with different belief systems. And that's part of expanding this kingdom. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. If you're going to be a part of this revolution, then it's going to lead you into the company of desperate and hurting people. Everyone up for that? Because if you really look around, we are all desperate and hurting people. And God reached out towards us. And what he's asking us to do is continue that work. One of our core values is that creativity is the natural result of spirituality and when people hear the word creativity, they think, oh, that's not me. I'm not creative at all. But you see, if you can make someone laugh, you've just created an atmosphere. If you can say, make someone feel welcome, you've just created an environment where that person can now be engaged. So it's not a matter of, well, can you paint? Can you play guitar? Can you sing? It's a matter, can you create a space where people feel welcomed into this conversation about God and who Jesus is. And you can. We can all do that. And see, that's what Jesus did. I need to go through Samaria. Why? Because it's shorter? No, because I need to teach these 12 young men, some of them teenagers, who they are. 
and who I am, which is a revelation of who God is. And by going there, they started to see their prejudice. They started to recognize the things that were happening actually inside of them. You see, Jesus is creating the future. He is developing the kingdom. He is pushing forward the agenda of God, and he's bringing these 12 reluctant now here men saying, what the heck are we doing? Why are we here? Who is she? Did, what, did someone give him something to eat? They have so many questions. Their minds are literally going poof because this is outside of their comfort zone to the nth degree. But this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Erwin McManus writes, bees create hives, ants create colonies, humans create futures. What is the future we are to create? It is to be a participant of the kingdom of God. See, the disciples walked towards everything that they had voided and didn't understand. They were now walking into a place that they were all their lives told, you can't be here. And that's exactly where Jesus took them. And I bet you the same thing is happening to us today. We start stepping into areas where we just say, I shouldn't be here. And Jesus is just smiling and saying, yep, this is where I'm at. I've been having a conversation here for a while now. This is where I've been revealing myself. Welcome to the conversation. And he pushes them into that. And so it would seem that if you're moving towards something that you don't understand that makes you uncomfortable, then you're probably following Jesus you're probably moving in the right directions. You know, the Pharisees asked Jesus in Luke chapter 5, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is creating a space where all of mankind is welcome. This is opening the doors of our hearts to the people out there. Do you really think that you or I even begin to understand the love that God has for people? Do you think you even have a glimpse of how compassionate God is, of how merciful, how gracious God is. We talked about this Wednesday. That no matter how gracious you are, God is much more gracious still. That God is much more loving still. He gave, after all, his life for everyone. Everyone. The Samaritan woman. You can fill in the person, the type, whatever you want. Jesus loves more. You see, what we're wanting here when we say we are a part of this kingdom is we're not asking you if you go to church. We're not asking you if you're saved. We're not asking you if you're going to heaven. 
We're asking you if you are a part of the revolution that Jesus has started all the years ago that are reaching out to mankind. We're asking you if you are a part of this work, if you are being pushed beyond your boundaries to love people beyond your ability, if we are able to extend this grace that has been given to us, are you able to move into these areas where you are so uncomfortable because you have been avoiding these areas all your life and Jesus is saying, this is where I'm at. If you're going to create a future, you've got to lead that way to where no one has gone before. Forget Star Trek. This is something new that's going to expand the kingdom of heaven itself. And it begins with you and me stepping into these areas of uncomfortable, awkward positions because that's where God is expanding the kingdom of God. If we don't create a space there for them to understand God's love, then we are not advancing the kingdom of God. Then we are not following Jesus. Then we can't call ourselves Christian like Christ because we don't look anything like him unless you are extending your love to that most awkward Samaritan woman. And this is what it means to create the future. This is where we believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And then Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, after his resurrection, he tells them, and you will be my witnesses, you who are my followers, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria? We got to go back? Yes, and to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth is not just geographical. The ends of the earth is where every human heart dwells. The ends of the earth is where every person is at who needs the knowledge of God's love and favor. The ends of the earth is to every heart of every person that you and I encounter. And this is how we create a future. This is how the kingdom of heaven is spread. When we start following Jesus and acting like him. Let's pray. Father, it seems that every year or so I look back and it feels like I'm not the same person I used to be. I feel like I believe a little bit differently than I I did before. It feels like I I love a little bit more than I I did before. And, And God, I think it's a good thing that I question my own beliefs, that I challenge them over and over again because you are always pushing me to be more. You are always wanting me to to step into something new and it's always uncomfortable and it's, it's just stepping to where you already are. And so, Lord, I pray for 
everyone here that we too would be your disciples and we too would follow you even like the 12 did those years ago. And, and as uncomfortable and awkward as it was for them, Lord, they still followed you. And Lord, as uncomfortable and awkward as it is to step into these new areas of conversation and extend ourselves to people maybe that we normally wouldn't have, Lord, that's exactly what it's like to follow you. That's exactly what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And Jesus, we do not want to misrepresent you. Jesus, we do not want to give anyone the impression that you do not love them so much that you've given your life for them. So we ask that you expand our understanding, that you would push us into these areas that are uncomfortable, that we would recognize that following you is such an adventure, and it is scary beyond belief, and it is amazing beyond comprehension, and that the kingdom of heaven is here at hand and we get to be a part of it. May we embrace this truth. Would you stand together with me? May you hear Jesus' words to you. His word is go. And may you go where he leads you May you go with the love that he carries with him. And may you create the future and be a part of the building of God's kingdom. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.